not as God lost something, but that God took manhood. And, um, Isaiah 9 says it this way, Unto us a child is born, he shall be called a child is born. We can gloss right over that. A child is born and he's going to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. This child that's born. It's easy to get lost in the technicalities of the incarnation. You know, how did God empty himself to become a man? But the truth is, he just he laid aside his nature, his divine nature, to take on ours. And as Christians, and not just at Christmas, but every time of the year when we gather together, we do so out of a shared belief in a tremendous miracle. Every, every time we're together, we gather because of a shared belief in a tremendous miracle. The God of the universe broke through the veil con- con- concealing the divine and became both fully God and fully man. He invaded our history. In fact, our entire calendar reflects this. He was here in the flesh at a specific point in time. It wasn't just a... a, 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 a um, uh, a good man, a good prophet that maybe pointed people toward God. God was here in the flesh at just the right time, according to Scripture. And this has incredible implications. If Jesus was God and he walked in the flesh, this has incredible implications. It means that we have a God who is not distant. As Colin prayed for me earlier, he's a God who rolled up his sleeves He's a God who involved ourselves in, uh, himself in our brokenness. He's a God who is the ultimate good Samaritan. He's not passing by just on the other side of human brokenness. But he's rolling up his sleeves in a great personal cost. Our God is binding up the wounds of mankind and making us whole again. This is incredibly profound. And I think the truth of this grips me more right now than it has ever in my entire life. But we don't need more study about Jesus. We don't need more knowledge about the incarnation. And I want to try to take off the lens, as Steve was doing this morning, I want to try to take off some of the preconceived ideas we have about what this means for us and look at this from a different perspective. A couple of days ago, Jamin and I had a couple of hours together in the car and so we were listening to an audio book called Something Needs to Change. Anybody ever read that? It's by David Platt, Something Needs to Change. Um, um, Really good book, and I, I know I, I, I feel crazy. I always mention books when I'm up here, but um, uh, David details unbelievable, heart-wrenching pain and loss that's being experienced around the world, specifically in this case in the middle of the Himalayans, um, deep in you know unreached people groups. Um, he talks about persecution that Christians are going through there, demon possession, hunger, poverty. 
child trafficking and humanitarian crisis that I just can't even wrap my head around. And so I was asking myself as I listened to that account, what does joy to the world, what is peace on earth, what is redemption, what is the liberation that we celebrate in Christ, what does the giving of gifts have to say? What do all of these things have to say to a family who's had their precious little girl kidnapped into slavery to wicked men? What does it have to say to a husband whose children have died from simple preventable diseases and whose wife has hung herself out of sheer despair and desperation? What do the gifts that we give and celebrate have to say to people who live in constant fear every day of appeasing the gods and they're so poor they can hardly even stay alive? I don't know if I can answer all of those questions. But I want to set aside religion for a second. Take off the glasses that you wear that you approach this story with. And... um, If you can, be completely heathen for a minute. Now, maybe not completely. Just not asking for any war hoops. Um, But take take your pre-existing understanding of God and who he is. And just set it aside for a minute. Maybe your understanding of the Christmas story. and, 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 And put it on the shelf. And pretend you're hearing about Jesus for the very first time right now. Today is the first day you've ever heard the name Jesus come out, come from the lips of a human being. See, we're so used to walking in these doors and we shut down our hearts and we just consume with our ears. And we don't truly allow our spirit to engage with the truth that we hear. I think there are two questions of massive consequence, if the, and probably more, but I'm going to talk about two today, of massive consequence if the incarnation was a real event. If Jesus was really God and he really became man, and if Christmas is not just a lie, there's two questions of massive consequence. The first one is, who is this God? Who in the world is this God? And the second one is, what does this mean for me? So, remember, you're, you're heathens, and you've never heard this before. And I'm going to do it. I've never actually preached to heathens besides you guys. Um, so, I am sure I, I don't know how to do that, and I'm probably going to create more questions than I'll create answers. But I must tell you, my dear heathens, That this God is like nothing you have ever seen before. Your gods have kept you in fear of their anger and their retaliation for any infraction incurred against their laws. My God is so different. He doesn't retaliate. But he's full of compassion and forgiveness. And his grace empowers people to live in the way that he calls us to. All the gods that you have experienced have taken And taken and taken until you have nothing left to give. 
they have exacted and demanded your performance and your allegiance and left you lifeless. My God is so different. He gave the best that he had so that everything that he enjoys could be yours. Your gods fueled their worship with hate. And hatred runs through generations until you hate just for the sake of hating. My God is so different. His very nature is love. And everything that he does is informed by his love. It's like his heart is love. And your heart beats and it gives life to your body. So God's heart beats. And it gives life to his people. Your God tells you that you have no value. You are a complete accident. You are worthless. And you're unloved. And my God is so different. He knew about you before the world ever began. And because of his love for you, he planned even before the world began to allow his own son to pay for the sins of the entire world including yours. My God is so different. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. And God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who the one who is the true light, he gives light to everyone. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people. Even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. They are reborn, not with physical birth resulting from human passion or plans, but a birth that comes from God. And so the word became human and made his home with us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we've seen his glory. The glory of the Father's one and only Son. And from his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after the other. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. But this unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart, and he has revealed God to us. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. So, John says, the word became human and made his home among us. This is the incarnation. This is what we celebrate at this time of year. The word became human and made his home among us. Paul says it like this. He says, though he was God, speaking of Jesus, though he was God, did not think of 
equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. God loves you, Eugene Peterson says. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you, and he is relentless. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you, and he he is relentless. That is part of the story of the incarnation. But what does this mean for me? I haven't told you the whole story. To leave it there would do absolutely nothing for the precious people in the Himalayas. The incarnation is nothing. It's meaningless. It's purposeless. It's, 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 it, it lacks potency. The incarnation lacks potency without, if we don't take it into ourselves and make it our own. As profound and life-changing as it is, Jesus does no good for anyone in the manger. He laid aside his nature to take on ours so that we could lay aside our nature to take on his. When we look at this through the eyes of religion, you know what that sounds like? Laying aside our nature to take on, uh, take on his, when we look at that through the eyes of, the relig- of religion, that sounds like sacrifice, doesn't it? Sounds like sacrifice. It sounds like, ooh, I think that might cost me something. If God became man, truly, what could he not ask of me? If God became man, what could he not ask of me? And in fact, if God became man, what has he required of me that he has not already done or already given? If God became man, what could he not ask of me? Jesus God incarnate, fully God, fully man, says this. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but you lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of the Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. The truth is that when we're captivated by and surrendered to the Father's love, it always leads to the cross. And I know that's not the normal Christmas story. But think about it. When we're captivated and surrendered to the Father's love, it always leads to the cross. And to the degree that I have been captivated by and surrendered to the Father's love, the cross will appear as an opportunity, maybe even a privilege. Do you hear that? To the degree that I've been captivated by the Father's love, the cross will appear as an opportunity. But conversely, to the degree that I need to be captivated and surrendered to the Father's love, the cross 
is going to appear as punishment. As if God is taking from you what is rightfully yours. And I confess to you, I am not always in the first camp. In fact, I feel like the cross continually reminds me that I need to pursue the right relationship with the Father's love. Sometimes the cross does look like punishment to me. Sometimes it does look like sacrifice to me. And it doesn't normally seem comfortable. And it often isn't what I want to pursue. But when I find in Jesus the incomprehensible love of God made flesh and dwelling among us, the love of God makes any sacrifice that I make seem insignificant. Jim Elliott says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Going back to to what Paul said, I read this verse earlier. He said, though he was God, though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled, humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. I skipped part of that verse. Does anybody know what I skipped? Let this mind be in you. Let this mind be in you. Jesus did not count his privileges as something to cling to. That is the mind that should be in us. I've only recently found... In the incarnation, the right way to apply and understand the Christian doctrine of self-denial. Many have misunderstood this as a vehicle, as a denial of all pleasure, of all goodness and all beauty. Instead, what if self-denial is the intentional laying aside of the rights that we could have in our flesh... In order to take on the nature of God and to live a life of far more joy and purpose filled than our flesh could ever dream of. That just as Jesus laid aside his rights as God and didn't count them as something to cling to and instead took on flesh and humbled himself to a criminal's death, we are invited to lay aside our flesh and receive the gift of eternal life. Do you see that juxtaposition? Self-denial is not denying all that is good and right and wonderful in the world. Earth is crammed with heaven. And self-denial makes, enables a restoration of what it actually is, of what it rightly is. Self-denial allows us to enjoy God's good and beautiful creation for what it truly is, not for what flesh has distorted it into. Self-denial is a restorative work. We set aside the curse in order to live in Eden. Self-denial for Jesus was him setting aside what was naturally and rightfully his in order to gain something far more precious. As Hebrews says, the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross, he despised the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of God. And self-denial for us is the same. We set aside our rights 
and the accommodations that, we could, that could be ours in order to gain something of infinitely more worth. Just as Moses chose to be treated with the people of, mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin for a season, he considered the reproach of Christ far greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. I started with um, today with a quick summary from the book, David Platt's account of trekking through the Himalayas. I asked the question, what does joy to the world and peace on earth, redemption and liberation, the giving of gifts, have to say to a family who has had their precious little girl kidnapped into slavery to wicked men? What does it have to say to a husband whose children have died from simple preventable diseases and whose wife has hung herself out of sheer despair and desperation? What do gifts have to say to people who live in constant fear of appeasing the gods and so poor they can, they can hardly stay alive? And the answer is absolutely nothing. Joy to the world Peace on earth and redemption have no value to the poor people in the Himalayas unless someone is willing to take on the form of a servant and spend their lives to make it known. Throughout this book, David Platt's book, uh, Something Needs to Change, I watched him detail heartbreaking despair and loss and tragedy and brokenness. But I also watched him weave a thread of normal, everyday people, people just like you and me, who had their hearts captivated by the Father's love. And they were awestruck. And they said, yes, Lord, I want to be used by you. I will take on the form of a servant. And I will allow God in some measure to be incarnate in me. I will be the answer to someone's urgent physical and spiritual needs. I will be the messenger of joy to the world. And I will tell someone there is hope and there is peace to be found on earth. A few nights ago, Jamin and I were on the way over here to church. And uh, we saw... a. Uh, a light, a beacon, in you know, we saw a light in the sky, and um, it was really bright, and it was interesting. It was just a weird light, and um, I found myself not turning towards the church, but pursuing the source of the light, and I found it in some guy's backyard. But that's immaterial. Um, I realized there is a compelling spiritual analogy. And I hope that this church can be a beacon of light in a dark place. There is joy to the world. There is peace on earth. But we have to let people know. We can study Jesus to no end. Truly, there is no end to the study of Jesus. But he's not asking for more students. He's not asking for more admirers of the babe in the manger. He's asking for followers. 
What can I give him as poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet, what can I give him? I will give him my heart.